My dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You heard these words in the reading from the Hebrews. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I wonder if you've noticed um, how so many of the words that Christianity uses, that we use to talk about our faith, are actually pretty small words. Words like um, God, Christ, love, sin, faith. Faith. Faith is one of those tiny little words that actually carries a whole lot of power, a lot of weight. Faith, by which we mean an improbable, almost impossible kind of trust. That one word encapsulates what it means to be a person slogging it out through this life, unafraid of whatever might happen to come, not letting fear paralyze us, but to move out. Faith. Faith. When the first lesson from Genesis was read just moments ago by Sandy, and then that lesson from the Hebrews, um, I hope you heard how they both held up Abe and Sarah, this ancient couple from Israel's story, um, as examples of putting one's faith in the right place and then acting on it. Abe and Sarah had lived their whole lives up to that point where God comes to them in one place, right? this place called Ur. They had been there probably for generations. Same family, same neighbors, all knowing that one place. And then God shows up and says, go. I want you to leave it. I want you to leave it for something entirely new, something entirely different. How could they do it? How could they leave everything that they knew behind and go into the unfamiliar? Well, first, I think it's because before God told them to go, God made a promise to them, right? A promise that they wouldn't be alone, that they wouldn't be abandoned, but that God would still be their God if only they would trust, if only they would have what we call faith. Abraham believed in this promise that God was good as his word, and then, then he was obedient. And so, this is the proposition, I guess, for this morning. A life of faith is a life that is ultimately lived in obedience. Did you hear that? To believe the promise means to then respond with obedience. God gives the promise. Abe and Sarah believe the promise. God says, act on it, and they act knowing that the promise they have received is solid. It's sure. It will not be revoked. If anyone ever asks you why in your church they baptize babies, okay, instead of waiting until someone is of a certain age to make their own confession, you just tell them this, without slagging on anybody. This is just an honest answer of why we do what we do. It's this. Because as we learn from Abraham and Sarah, before the obedience of faith can happen, the promise must be given. That's why. Simple as that. Because a life of trust in God begins with God establishing that relationship and then God providing everything. We bring to this relationship nothing except our need. God brings the promise. First, we learn to trust in the promise and then maybe we might learn to love the way that God loves. 
In our gospel lesson from that 12th chapter of Luke that I read earlier, Jesus kind of lays it out for his disciples in no uncertain terms, in words that, frankly, never cease to make me squirm. He says, basically, do you trust God or don't you? If you do, then make some room in your life for God to work. Give away your possessions. Give alms. In other words, give your stuff, maybe to those who need it a little bit more than you do. Make purses for yourself that don't wear out, where no moth comes in, no uh, thief destroys, where your treasure is, that is where your heart is going to go. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, I can think of about a million and one ways to rationalize myself out of that command quicker than grease through a goose, okay? I can tell myself, God certainly doesn't want me to be irresponsible, you know, with my, with my finances, doesn't want me to put my family at risk, uh, their economic security. I can tell myself that my pile of stuff is certainly no bigger than most of the piles of stuff you all have around me. And I can tell myself, well, you know, even if I have a lot of stuff, I do share. And there's people who don't share nearly as much as me. But the truth remains. And that is that my stuff owns me a lot more than I own my stuff. Okay? The kingdom of stuff is my hometown. It's where I live. And God is jealous, to say the least. God doesn't want my stuff. God wants me. Right? God wants my heart, my trust. And anything that might get in the way of God having me, he's not going to stand for it. God wants some space inside of me so that I might learn how to trust him for what I really need. So God invites me to leave my neighborhood of stuff and strike out for a new place, a place that is marked by reliance on God. What I really need is to learn how and what to love. A few weeks ago, I shared in worship a little story about our dog, Jasper, um, and how maybe we could take a lesson from him in how to ask for the things we need, trusting in the one who we know will provide. Remember that one? How to pray like a dog, <laughs> incessantly, Non-stop asking for what you need, trusting that the one who loves you will give it, right? I'm going to go to the dog well one more time this morning and tell you of just how he ended up in our home, if you don't know. The death of our 13-year-old Irish setter, Danny Boy, um, in the spring of 2018, four years ago, precipitated Jasper's adoption, okay? Of course, reinforcing the notion that we have not learned our lesson, <laughs> In his poem, uh, Power of the Dog, Rudyard Kipling wrote, Why in heaven before we are there would we give our hearts to a dog to tear? <laughs> and he's right, you know, because all you do is you get these lovely dogs and you give them your heart, and then all of a sudden they die, they leave you, and your heart is broken, and you do it over and over again. But bear with me for just a second. I think it's interesting how one loves a puppy differently than one loves an old dog. The truth is, you don't really love the puppy. Not yet, right? Not yet. You want to. You want to. After all, he's fuzzy. He's playful. He's got that puppy breath. <laughs> but in fact, you know it takes time to really fall in love with a dog or with anything in your life for that matter, right? 
takes time. You want to love that puppy, and so what you do is you lay down that initial investment of cash to make him your own. In our case, it was a breeder of Llewellyn Setters up in Mott, North Dakota. But that's just the beginning of the investment, right? After that comes the collars and the dish puppy dishes and the um, vet bills that are going to come and the labor and time of cleaning not only puppy but floors and furniture because what goes into a puppy comes out of a puppy and it doesn't always come in the exact place or time you want it to. There will be the investment of hours and hours of time, right? Playing with and training and walking with this dog so that maybe this dog will grow up to be the companion you dreamed that he could be. There will be the sacrifice of household items you never thought would end up as chew toys. And if you do it right, there will be this monumental investment of yourself hmm? in money and time and attention. And then over the course of time, you'll discover that your heart has attached itself to that thing. Your heart has followed your treasure, right? And then you will love. Now, Jesus makes this poignant observation with his own disciples, right? Where your treasure is, that is where your heart is going to end up. And I think sometimes we get that twisted. Sometimes we think we really need to love a thing before we dare invest anything in it. But that's not what Jesus said. He said quite the opposite. Huh? He said, if you dare to spend yourself in treasure, that means money, time, passion, energy, whatever resources you have at your disposal, on something or someone, you might just find your heart ends up there too. We learn to love through the discipline of caring for and sacrificing the things we want to love. I want to love God and God's people. I do. I want to love the mission that Jesus places at my feet. But the truth is, so often, God's people and God's mission are amazingly annoying. Did I just say that out loud? <laughs> it's true. I'm speaking for you now, too, right? Those things get in the way of the things we think we really want, right? Too often, my heart is a bonehead. You know, it wants the wrong thing. But here's the thing. I want to learn to love the things and people that God loves. And I know you do too, or you wouldn't even bother being here right now. But the promise is this. If in obedience to Jesus, I put my treasure, my time, my money, my passion, my energy, myself there into those relationships with God's people and God's mission to love all people, my heart will follow. I just might find myself falling in love with the people that God loves. Kind of like a bunch of guys, I see them sitting right here, who might get on a motorcycle and travel halfway across the country, not for vacation, but to spend their time maybe standing in a booth in downtown Sturgis and sharing their life story and the life story of those who come and visit with them to use your vacation that way, why? So that maybe if you're obedient to God's command to love these people, you might find yourself loving them too, right? You might find yourself loving what God loves. Now, it will take the obedience of trust 
to get me there. To trust God more than I trust my stuff. To leave the homeland of reliance on my own smarts and my own resources. To leave it for a new country of God's leading. That seems to be, I don't know, pretty scary to me when it comes right down to it. Scary business. You know, I look at the beauty of this place which we're gathered this morning. Every year we gather in this park. I run in this park a lot. My wife runs in it practically every other day. She runs out of here. But every time we come into this place, we're overwhelmed by the beauty of this place that we, most of us sitting here, not everybody, but a lot of us get to call home. You know? This has been my home now and my family's for the last 10 years. I'm so grateful to be able to say that. When we lived back in southeast Minnesota, I don't know if you know this, but we would come out here every year, almost, to these northern hills, drag our kids out here and camp. This was our Valhalla, you know what I mean? And every year we would come out, we would stay overnight in Murdo, South Dakota. Now, there ain't a whole heck of a lot in Murdo, South Dakota. But what there is in Murdo is there's heat, right? And there is the Graham's Best Western Motor Inn that has an outdoor swimming pool. So after a long day of driving with the kids in the back of the Suburban, that was a great place to stop. And the first thing we would do, put on our swimming suits before supper, and we'd go into the pool. And every year there'd be one with us who was just about that age where we would have to try to coax them into the pool. You know, they'd be toddler age, right? And we would try to get them to go out with mom or dad into the pool. Okay? And we would start in the shallow end. And we would have to hold them up because even in the shallow end, it was about three feet deep, right? And we'd start them out there, and then we'd walk backwards towards the deep end, holding them up. And you could almost feel their little bodies and see their faces tense up, right? with anxiety and worry as we went deeper and deeper and the water came up higher and higher on mom or dad as we held them out in front of us. But if they were able to analyze that situation rationally, they would know there was never a reason to be afraid. Why? Because from the shallow end to the deep, their whole safety depended on mom and dad holding them, right? It was the same in the shallow end as in the deep end. No matter how deep we got, it was always mom or dad's hands holding them up that protected them. Got that image in your head? Sometimes in life, I think we feel as though we're going too deep. We're getting into it too deep. Maybe it's the loss of the job. Maybe it's a diagnosis that we hadn't expected and it just comes out of nowhere and whacks us. Maybe it's the death of someone we love. Maybe it's Maybe it's getting up and moving across the country to a different place. I don't know. But in all of it, I know this, we can feel like we've lost control. And yet, like a child in the pool, the truth is we've never been in control of the most valuable things of our life. We've always been held in the palm, the hand of a loving God who is never out of his depth. And so we're just as safe going deeper as we've ever been. Perhaps finally we'll learn to trust him, that we might obey him, that we might learn to love the people and the things that God loves. 
Because where our treasure is, our hearts are bound to follow. Amen? Amen.